I'd like for you to turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Hosea. And I want to talk this morning about um, how, to, how to get in a position to receive the blessing of God or the reign of His righteousness. And Ephraim, verse 11, chapter 10. And Ephraim is like a trained heifer that loves to thresh. But I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob, that's the other name for Israel. Israel will harrow for himself. Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is high time to seek the Lord until He comes to rain righteousness upon you. When God established the heavens and the earth, He established certain fixed laws that can neither be altered nor changed. The law of gravity we ignore to our peril. The law of the harvest that you reap what you sow it's amazing how many times the Bible refers to the law of the harvest that you reap what you sow. There is another fixed law that this passage deals with. Verse 12 suggests that God longs to rain righteousness upon us. The word in the Hebrew means to pour out in deluge. He just has all of this righteousness and blessing that He just longs to pour out in hurricane measure upon us, pour out in measure of abundance. But God is a God of ends and purposes. And so we go to the end of verse 12 to see the principle that God longs to pour out blessing of righteousness upon us. But there are conditions that are necessary for he, for, before He can do that. And He describes those conditions that are necessary. For the basic fixed law is this, that God will not reign upon fallow ground. Now what is fallow ground? Fallow ground is ground that was once productive, but because it, was ne it has been neglected and has had improper cultivation has become unproductive and unfruitful. When I was a preacher out in West Texas, I can remember when the government had these set-aside programs and the purpose of the set-aside program was that the government would, pay, government would pay you not to plant crops. In order to drive up the price, They'd pay you a certain amount of money if you'd never planned to never cultivate a certain section of, of your farm. I haven't been able to figure that out yet. Half the world starving to death. They are paying us not to plant anything. But you could be driving down the road and see these beautiful crops, you know, cultivated and, fer and watered and fertilized. Then you come to a section of fallow ground that was grown up and weeds and neglected. That's what fallow ground is. What a description of so many of us, once productive and once fruitful, 
now unproductive and unfruitful, once we possessed power in prayer to move the altar of God, now we have little in our prayer life to brag about. What has happened? Well, neglect. The reason these, this ground grew up in weeds and got like it did is they just didn't do anything to it, just neglected it. You don't have to plant weed seed to make weeds grow. I figured out that if we could, if we could find a way to, you know, to make weeds uh, nourishing and palatable, we'd have it made. I got enough crabgrass over my lawn to feed a family of four. I wish we could find some way to make, you know, uh, weeds where you just eat weeds. I mean, you wouldn't have to plant them; they grow anyway. You don't have to cultivate them. Most of the time you don't even have to water them, they just grow. You don't have to destroy your tomato patch. You don't have to plant weed seeds in it, just, just neglect it. You don't have to destroy a child. You don't, have to, you don't have to teach that child how to smoke dope. Just neglect him, don't spend any time with him. You don't have to destroy your marriage. You don't have to start running around on your spouse. Just neglect one another, that'll destroy it. What had happened in Israel was that Israel had begun to neglect God and their spiritual life. And fallow ground is the description of it. It's a description of many of us. And he said, Israel, Ephraim is like a trained heifer. And what he's talking about was that they'd take these cows, these heifers, and they'd harness them and they'd hook them up to these thrashing devices. All these heifers had to do, all these cows had to do, just kind of walk around, didn't take much effort, just hook them up, they'd just start walking, you know, just walk around. Occasionally they'd bend over and eat some corn that was left on the thrashing floor. That's what the Bible means when it says, don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. It was just kind of an easy way of doing things. They just, these old heifers, they'd hook them up and they'd go through the routine. It became rote and routine. How descriptive of many of us. We've so neglected God and His will and His word that we've come, you know, we just go through the routine and it, going to church for many of us, our relationship with God is routine, rote, and ritual. Let me tell you something. Many of us have gotten into the habit of doing religious things that don't mean a thing in the world to us. I heard about a guy who was kind of laying out of church one Sunday morning. He was just kind of laid back in his easy chair reading his newspaper and he glanced at his watch and it was 10 after 11. He just automatically, automatically jumped up and reached for his wallet. His wife said, honey, what are you doing? He said, well, it's 10 after 11. I just automatically stood for the offertory. I mean, we... We can look at our watch at any time and see what Baptists are doing all over the country. It, you know, most of it, we've gotten in a rote and the routine and the ritual. And this is the way it goes for most of us. Just tell me what I'm supposed to believe and I'll believe it. Just give me some kind of clue as to how I'm supposed to act and I'll try to act that way. But don't ask me to pay any price for that. Don't ask me to think about it. Don't ask me to struggle with it. You just give me something easy, something rote, something routine, and I'll certainly go for that. But the longer I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that the Lord keeps pointing us to the difficult way. 
He said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. He said to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have, come and follow me, because the path to the blessing of God and the reign of righteousness is no easy path. Now let me say to you this morning, some of us are longing to see the rain, that deluge of righteousness upon this church, upon our own lives, upon this world. You can call it revival. You can call it a visitation of God, whatever you want to call it. Some of us have been anxious to see God pour out His rain of righteousness upon us, but it won't come easy for us. If there is a price to be paid for that to happen, what is that price? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm fixing to tell you. There must first of all be a personal evaluation, a personal examination. This text gets real personal. Israel will hallow for him, harrow for himself. If you've got a King James, it says, sow to yourselves righteousness. What he's saying is this. If you want to see the rain of God's righteousness fall on your life in deluge, if you want to see the rain of God's righteousness come to this world, the best place to start is with you. That's hard to, that's hard to swallow. I wish you'd start. I don't want to start with me. I'd like to start with you. It's a whole lot easier for me. I have some opinions about what you need to do for God to bless this church. I don't have many opinions about what I need to do. It's a whole lot easier for me to see the speck that's in your eye than it is to see the log that's in my own. The best place to start for God to pour out His blessing upon us is with a personal... It's verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Is there anything wrong with that verse? Does that, does that seem strange? That, that, that verse seems strange to you? I heard this guy tell about one morning he got up to get ready for work and he was drinking his last cup of coffee and he was kind of um, checking the sports page and his wife was in the bathroom getting dressed for work. He said he heard this blood-curdling scream come from the bathroom. He thought that killer mouse was on the loose again. He, so he went running down the hall. He went into the bathroom. He said, honey, what is wrong? He thought she was, she thought, he thought she was dying. He said she had her hair pulled up, just a little bit of her hair pulled up, and, and this blood curdling. He said, she said, look. He said, look at what? He said, a gray hair. Now what Hosea is saying is that He's not talking about gray hair that's on, your, on my head and on some of you, this physical hair. He's talking about moral declension. He's talking about moral decay in the country. Now, it's not tragic to have gray hair on your head. It is tragic not to know it. It's a tragedy that there is moral declension in your life. It's even more tragic that you're not aware of it. 
What God is saying through Hosea is it's time that we took an honest evaluation as to the condition of our life. And see what is in our life that is, that is preventing the reign of God's righteousness upon us. So with a view to righteousness. That, that means that, that I begin to live my life in view of a righteous norm and standard. And the righteous norm and standard is the righteous one. And what he's saying is that I take the challenge and I'm going to be conformed, I'm going to conform my life to the standard, that, that normal standard of righteousness, which is Christ himself. And I'm going to investigate my own life and I'm going to find out if there's anything in my life that is inconsistent with the testimony of Jesus. Now it's interesting what that word righteous means there. It means right doing. Now let me add it all up here. He's saying you want God to rain righteousness upon your life and upon your community, then you need to start doing what is right. People come to me and they want some deep, dark secret about how to live the Christian life. And some of us are waiting for some lightning bolt and for some chills to do leapfrogs up and down our spine. Let me tell you what, we're, what we need to do. We just need to start doing what we already know to do. And when we start doing right, you've seen that Nike commercial? I'm told it's the most popular commercial. Here's this Nike emblem and the word Nike right there on the screen. That's all it is. It's a big old Nike the, the word Nike with a little check. And underneath that Nike emblem, the words, just do it. I saw a kid last night over at the beach party with a big old t-shirt on it said, just do it. Just do it. I mean, you know enough to do, just do it. You don't need anybody else to tell you what you need to do. You just need to start doing it. Stop praying about it, start doing it. Stop expecting some kind of a thrill or some kind of a lightning bolt to come. Just do it. Let me tell you what will happen in this world if we just start doing right. God will rain righteousness upon us. All right, there's a personal evaluation or examination. Second, there must be painful cultivation. It's break up the fallow ground. Now, when my friends who were farmers, I said my farmer friends this morning, it's F-A-R, I have some F-O-R ones too, but my, uh, my friends who were farmers, when it's time to start planting out there in that uh, fallow ground, they got out there and they told me that, you know, you ever tried to plow ground that had been sitting without cultivation for months? It's hard as a brick. Some of them break their plow points and it was a difficult thing. It's a painful thing to begin to break up the fallow ground. Listen to me carefully. I remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He said a sower went forth to sow, and he said there were four kinds of soil which represent four hearts. Some of that soil, he said, was covered with thorns and thistles and weeds, choked out the word. The word didn't have a chance in that cluttered up soil, cluttered with weeds and thistles and debris. 
He's describing the condition of the heart, and he's saying that in some of us, our lives are so cluttered, the Word of God doesn't have a chance. Somewhere, sometime, you and I are going to have to determine, decide what is priority. Sometime, we have to come to a moment of truth where we have to determine what is there in my life that keeps me from doing right? What is there in my life that keeps me from conforming to the norm of righteousness? What is there in my life that prevents me from doing what I know I already ought to do? And when I determine that, that has to go, and that's painful cultivation. The first 37 pages of the book, A Sense of History, come under, the, or under a section entitled, I Wish I'd Been There. Interesting. These historians were asked to describe one moment in history they wish they had been able, had been privy to. They were asked to, to describe one moment in history, if they could go back and relive one moment, what moment would it be? What would you put out? When she first told you she loves you? Well, that doesn't count. One moment in history. One, one guy said he, he wished he, he would have liked to have been among that small company of sailors in the moonlit pre-dawn moment, October the 12th, 1492, when a lookout on that little sailing vessel hailed the sand cliffs of an island never before seen by the eyes of Europeans, the discovery of America. One man said he wished he, he would have liked to have been with Lewis and Clark in November of, of uh, 1805 when they first glimpsed the object of their labors, what is now the Pacific Ocean. And he, he said, I would love to have been looking over the shoulder when William Clark wrote in his log book, Ocean in View, oh, what joy. One guy made an interesting entry. He said he wished he had been in Springfield, in that nostalgic moment when Lincoln said goodbye to his neighbors and headed off to Washington. And one went beyond that to the emancipation, not that he was with Lincoln, but he said he wished he had been in South Carolina with that large group of people, most of them slaves, now free, who heard the news of the emancipation for the first time. He said, I wish I could have seen the flag flapping in the sky. I wish I could have heard them sing. First, an old black man with a cracked voice, joined by two women who would not be silent as they sang spontaneously, My country, tis of thee, sweet land, liberty. One man said he wished he had been with Nixon the day Nixon knelt and prayed with Kissinger and decided he was going to resign the presidency. And the interesting thing about all of these entries was that they were asked to determine priority. They were to look on the fields of history and pick out one blossom, one plant to look at, one moment in time that they could relive one essential priority. Not unlike the Bible. I spoke out to Vespers the other night, and I, after I finished, the president of our BSU got up and said what I was trying to say the whole hour. It took me 30 minutes to say. She said in a sentence, I'm glad Brother Gerald came tonight and helped us to see where we are to focus. 
there comes a moment in time when every person has to decide who's on first and where is the focus of his life and what has priority and what is there in my life that prevents me from focusing on him and that stuff has to go and that's painful. And some preachers said that the best way to get to God is by praise, that He inhabits the praise of His people. That's right as long as that person's prayed up. But if he has unconfessed sin in his life, he can praise forever. He won't get to God. Who can ascend into the holy hill and who can stand in the presence of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who has not lifted up his soul to vanity. And what that means paraphrased is the way a man gets to God and gets the blessing of God is that he doesn't give his life to that vain stuff that doesn't matter. Painful cultivation. One last thought. There must be persistent supplication. This is what he said. For it's high time to seek the Lord. How long do you seek Him? Till He comes. Till He comes. How long do we stay in church? Till God pours out His blessing on us. How long do we pray till He answers? How long do we stay at this business? until He comes and rains righteousness upon us. I'm not going to stop praying till He comes in righteousness. Reminiscent of Jacob. And in that morning hour, he wrestled with that angel. It was a fixed fight, believe me. You don't think as an angel wasn't stronger than Jacob? Of course he is. He could have... He could have pin him to the count of three, just like that. It was a fixed fight. In the morning, the angel started to leave, and Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And the angel said under his breath, I gotta go. He needs to turn me loose so I can leave, but I hope he doesn't. I don't understand it. Watch this. I don't understand it, but there's something about persistence that God loves. And Jesus told two parables about prayer, and both of them had to do with persistence. About the man who beat on the door of his neighbor for bread one night, about a woman who entreated the judge for justice. The two parables he taught about prayer were on persistence. There's something about persistence that God loves. I want you to hear this. I think God sometimes tests us to see how serious we are in our desire. If I have a hunger for God that can be met with a mid-morning snack, I'm probably not going to be fed. If I have a hunger for God that keeps me on my knees until I'm fed, I'm going to get fed. I want you to hear this. God will do for you what you'll do for yourself. Now, I didn't say, I've heard this quoted, God helps those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. What I said was, God will do for you what you'll do for yourself. Listen to me. If you long for righteousness, He'll rain righteousness upon you. 
If you long for an experience with God, He'll pour out His experience upon you. He'll do for you what you'll do for yourself. In fact, you can have all of God that you want. You can have all of righteousness that you desire. And Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, there are a lot of things that you can hunger and thirst after, and you'll never be filled. You can, be, you can hunger and thirst after money, and you'll never get enough. You can hunger and thirst after power, and you'll never get enough. But if you hunger and thirst after God, He fills you. He'll do for you what you want Him to do for you. So I guess the question is, how badly do you want this? How badly do you want to be possessed by someone who demands absolute, total commitment? Break up the fallow ground. It's high time. And seek the Lord till He finds you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray for your righteousness to fall like latter rain upon this church today. As your people, in personal examination and painful cultivation, seek your face, seek your will for their life, seek your presence and power. Seek your fullness. For I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. There are three invitations. There's an invitation for you to come this morning and profess your faith in Christ. You don't need any more information. Just do it. Just step out from where you are and come and say, I'm lost and I cannot save myself and I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I want God. I want God. Come today to give your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe you need to come this morning to place your life in the church. College students, lead the way. I know it's hard to move away from your home church. That preacher back there, he's so much better than the one down here. I've heard that. Lead the way. While you're here in this community, be an example on the campus of commitment to a church. Maybe you need to come this morning as a, as a, as a Christian whose life has become unproductive. You've neglected the Word. You've neglected prayer. You've neglected God. And your old life is hard. Your heart is hard and cluttered. Why don't you give that stuff up and come to the Lord? Recommit yourself to Him. Make a rededication of your life to Him. That's all that matters. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.